Please take your Bibles now and turn to Daniel as we continue in chapter 2. Going to read verses 24 to 49. The king was troubled by dreams, and God came to Daniel and revealed them to Daniel. And we come down to verse 24. Verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. And Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, your dream. And the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who made known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart." You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, and as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. 
And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. The king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So far, the reading of God's holy word. The history of this world is filled with massacres, wars, battles, and conflicts for supremacy. Nation has risen against nation in the struggle for dominance. One gains authority over another only to be de defeated itself in the course of time. There's been much bloodshed and many atrocities as people have labored to build and maintain their kingdoms. One of the things that history teaches us is that no matter how powerful a nation may be, it eventually crumbles and is destroyed. The kingdoms of this world are temporary. However, in our text for this morning, we see that Daniel predicted the coming of a superior and lasting kingdom, a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Although he was a servant of the king of Babylon, Daniel knew that he was a servant of a much greater king. He put his faith and trust in the king of kings. From Daniel 2, verses 24 through 29, I want us to reflect upon three things. First, the testimony of the king's servant. Second, the revelation of the king's success. And third, the recognition of the king's supremacy. We begin with the testimony of the king's servant. We saw in the first 23 verses of Daniel 2 that King Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by some dreams. He was so distressed that he was unable to sleep. To solve the problem, he turned where? Children? Where did he turn? Well, he turned to the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans. The king demanded that they tell him both the dream and its interpretation. 
The wise men objected to his bad-tempered demands and threats. They said, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king has ever asked such a thing. Be reasonable. They confessed their inability to do what the king required. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar became furious, and he issued a decree that all the wise men be destroyed. It was a terribly dark day in Babylon. But now young Daniel enters the picture. When Arioch, the official in charge of executing the wise men, arrived at Daniel's home to arrest him and his three companions, Daniel asked to have an audience with the king. He boldly stood in the king's presence and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream. That same day, Daniel urged his friends to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. Together they prayed, imploring that the Lord would intervene, and the true king of heaven and earth heard his servants. The secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Having received both the dream and its interpretation, Daniel blessed the God of heaven and worshipped him as the sovereign Lord, the one who alone reveals deep and hidden things. This brings us to verse 24. Daniel went to Arioch and asked that he be brought to the king. Arioch quickly brought him to the palace and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king was undoubtedly surprised, maybe even somewhat skeptical. He asked Daniel, verse 26, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Now please notice, congregation, please notice Daniel's response. Let me draw your attention to three things, three things. First of all, he disassociated himself from the wise men of Babylon. He disassociated himself from the wise men of Babylon. Look with me, please, to verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Notice Daniel wanted to make it clear that his ability to interpret the dream had nothing to do with astrology, magic, or soothsaying. Although Daniel was listed among the wise men of Babylon, he did not identify with them. He wanted the king to know that he was in a completely different league. He did not use their methods and he did not subscribe to their ways. The wise men of Babylon did not have the resources to do what the king required. Their system was bankrupt, and their small g gods could not deliver. Because Daniel was familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, he undoubtedly knew what God thought about astrology, magic, and soothsaying. Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Daniel knew God's mind on these things, and therefore he did not want to be classified among those whom the Lord disapproved of. 
He wanted the king to know that the source of his power was totally different from that of the wise men. Secondly, not only did Daniel disassociate himself from the pagan wise men of Babylon, but he also directed Nebuchadnezzar to the one true God. He also directed Nebuchadnezzar to the one true God. Look at verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. The gods of Babylon are not my source of knowledge. I serve the God of heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel used the opportunity to proclaim the glory and power of Israel's God, his true king. Congregation, think about this. How many times in your daily conversation do you have opportunity to say to unbelievers, there is a God in heaven. He is Lord of the universe. The Lord has done this or the Lord has done that. There is a God in heaven who directs my life. He sees, knows, and guides everything. Daniel did not miss the opportunity to testify of the God whom he loved. You also, brothers and sisters, are called to make use of those opportunities. Perhaps you will never be summoned before kings or prime ministers, but you have opportunities each day in your business in the grocery store, at the gas station, at your job, in your neighborhood, at your college, to testify that there is a God in heaven who is all-powerful, all-wise, and all-knowing. And then thirdly, Daniel clearly disclaimed any credit for himself. Daniel clearly disclaimed any credit for himself. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You see what Daniel's saying here? Daniel's saying, by nature, I'm no different than anyone else. I'm not smarter. I'm not more intelligent. I'm not wiser. I don't possess greater gifts than others. Daniel's reply was very similar to the reply of Joseph in Egypt many years earlier. When Joseph stood before the great Pharaoh of Egypt and was asked to interpret his dreams, Joseph said, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer. It is not in me. As Joseph disclaimed any credit for himself, so also Daniel disclaimed any credit. His response to Nebuchadnezzar was a God-centered, God-glorifying response. He deflected the praise. Congregation, as Christians, we can learn from Daniel's humble attitude in the presence of the king. The apostle Paul said, what do you have that you have not received? All that you have and all that you are and all the gifts that you possess are given by God and are to be used for his glory. Daniel unashamedly spoke of the power of his God. He did not seek any honor for himself. 
Brothers and sisters, is it your desire to promote the honor of God? If your university professor compliments you on your excellent paper, you can say, there is a God in heaven who has given me these gifts. He has made me what I am. When your customer thanks you for your fine work, you can say, there is a God in heaven who has blessed me with these hands. He has made me what I am. When someone comments on your beautiful farm, you can say, there is a God in heaven who has given me the skills, strength, energy, and creativity to build this farm. He has made me what I am. And when your neighbor expresses appreciation for your family and marriage, you can say, I am so thankful that there is a God in heaven who has been building our marriage and our home. He has made us what we are. All that I am, I owe to thee. Thy wisdom, Lord, has fashioned me. I give my maker thankful praise, whose wondrous works my soul amaze. So, as Daniel appeared before the king, he disassociated himself from the pagan wise men of Babylon. He directed Nebuchadnezzar to the one true God. And he disclaimed any credit for his insights. He deflected the praise to where it rightly belonged. He was a faithful servant of the true king. We come then secondly to the revelation of the king's, capital K, success. The revelation of the king's, capital K, success. In verses 31 to 35, Daniel described Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It was a magnificent, awe-inspiring image, dazzling and awesome in appearance. It was made of four different kinds of metal, a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron mixed with clay. As the king was watching, a strange stone, a stone that was not cut out by human hands, struck the image on its feet. The stone caused the whole image to topple over and break in pieces. The entire statue was crushed, and the pieces were swept away by the wind like chaff at threshing time. The rock itself remained intact, and it mysteriously grew into a huge mountain. It continued to grow until it filled the whole earth. Congregation, as Nebuchadnezzar listened, he was amazed. And his amazement increased as Daniel began to explain its meaning. In verses 36 to 45, Daniel said that the different parts of the image represented successive kingdoms or empires. The first kingdom is what? Babylon. Verse 38 says, you are this head of gold. Toward the end of the 7th century and the beginning of the 6th century BC, the Babylonian Empire became a mighty force in the ancient Near East. Daniel was not exaggerating in verses 37 and 38. Have a look. Verses 37 and 38. You, O king, are a king of kings 
For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory, and wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, has given them into your hand. He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar had it all. Under his reign, Babylon became a magnificent city. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest of all the Babylonian kings. The power of Mesopotamia reached its culmination in this king. He is the head of gold. But notice, congregation, how Daniel explained the reason for Nebuchadnezzar's glory. The fact that he was the supreme king was not ultimately because of his brilliant military strategies or his superb administrative skills. Nebuchadnezzar's glory and power were God's doing. Verse 37 says, The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and strength and glory. God has made you ruler over them all. How many world leaders today and how many of our Canadian politicians realize that the God of heaven has put them in their places of authority? When they sit down in Parliament or in the White House or in the various legislative assemblies and discuss national and world affairs, does it ever cross their minds that the God of heaven has given them power? And as Christians, do we fret and worry at election time? Or are we able to say, ultimately, the God of heaven is in charge? Yes, we do our part. We support the election of godly people. That is our responsibility. But when all is said and done and the final ballot is cast, are we able to say the God of heaven determines who holds the reins of power? It was God who brought Nebuchadnezzar to his place of supremacy. For the Lord was working out his purposes. He was the one who made Nebuchadnezzar the head of gold. Then, the second kingdom or empire represented by the chest and arms of silver is the Medo-Persian Empire. The kingdom of the Medes and Persians under King Darius defeated Babylon 42 years after the death of Nebuchadnezzar. Darius is mentioned at the end of chapter 5. Then the third part of the image, the belly and thighs of bronze, represents the Greek Empire. Verse 39 says of this empire that it would rule over all the earth. The kingdom of the Greeks, established by Alexander the Great, was certainly a mighty empire. Alexander the Great was a remarkable young man and a military genius. It is said that while he was still in his 20s, he wept because there were no more lands for him to conquer. And then the fourth kingdom represented by the legs of iron and feet and toes of iron mixed with clay, this fourth kingdom is the Roman Empire. Although the Roman Empire was still hundreds of years away as Daniel spoke, God enabled him to describe it accurately. Verse 40 says, have a look there, verse 40 says, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, 
Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all other kingdoms, all others. The Roman Empire grew to be a kingdom which shattered everything in its path. However, verses 41 to 43 say that the feet and toes were a mixture of clay and iron. Therefore, the kingdom would be partly strong and partly fragile. As we know from history, the Roman Empire became weak through its moral corruption and debauchery, and eventually the empire collapsed. It rotted from within. But then we come to a fifth kingdom, which is radically different from the other four. The first four kingdoms are not central in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It is the fifth kingdom that is most significant. Read along at verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up what? A kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. There is no doubt that the stone which is cut out without hands is the messianic kingdom of God. The rock that struck the feet of the statue and destroyed it and then grew to be a mountain that filled the whole earth is the eternal kingdom that God establishes. Dear friends, ultimately all the kingdoms of the world will be shattered by the kingdom of God. Although the image represents four kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, they are all essentially the same. They all belong to the one image, that is, the great statue of a man. The great statue of a man. They are all human kingdoms which stand in opposition to God's kingdom. While the kingdom of man will be destroyed, the kingdom of God will endure forever. Now, congregation, consider what this dream and its interpretation must have meant for Daniel and his companions. They had been removed from their land and brought as captives to Babylon. The nation of Judah, through which the promises were to be fulfilled, was subject to Babylon. What would happen to the messianic promises? What would happen to God's promise of a Savior? Would the kingdom of man swallow up the kingdom of God? Nebuchadnezzar's dream provided the answers to these questions. Yes, the kingdom of man will exist for a time in opposition to the kingdom of God, but human kingdoms cannot and will not stand. The image will be destroyed by the stone. What a comfort these words must have been for Daniel and his friends in captivity. While from a human perspective, all may have seemed to be lost, God was still fulfilling his promise of redemption. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome would not triumph. No earthly kingdom can restrain the kingdom of God. 
congregation, the stone which was cut out without hands represents what? King Jesus. He is the stone that crushes the kingdoms of this world. Psalm 118, which we sang a moment ago. Psalm 118, 22 says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus applied this verse to himself in Matthew chapter 21 when he said, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Prophet Isaiah also spoke about this stone. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be dismayed. In the New Testament, Peter quoted this passage in reference to Jesus. 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. Coming to Christ as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It is abundantly clear that the rock in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is Jesus Christ. And the mountain in the dream is his kingdom. What do we read in the first chapter of Luke? The angel Gabriel was sent by God to Mary to announce the news of her pregnancy. He said to her that the child in her womb would reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the everlasting king. His kingdom was inaugurated and proclaimed at his first coming. In the days of the Roman Empire, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus began his ministry, he went forth preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom. But brothers and sisters, while the kingdom was inaugurated and proclaimed at his first coming, the full reality of the kingdom will not be seen until his second coming. When he returns, then the kingdoms of this world will be scattered. The kingdom of God took shape in the days of the fourth empire. It was when Palestine was occupied by the Romans that Jesus and his disciples came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus taught that his kingdom would grow and grow until it filled the whole earth. The complete fulfillment of this will take place at his return. The image of man will be utterly crushed so that no trace of it can be found.
Now I want you to notice, congregation, how two psalms are alluded to in these verses. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Look back with me, please, to verse 35. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. This appears to be a deliberate allusion to the first psalm. As you know, Psalm 1 describes the contrast between the character and destiny of the righteous and the wicked. The righteous in Psalm 1 are those who delight in the law of God. They become like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The way of the ungodly shall perish, Psalm 1. The allusion to Psalm 1 in this chapter reminds us that the destruction of human kingdoms by the stone, Jesus Christ, is because of their moral and spiritual recklessness. The destruction of human kingdoms is God's judgment upon those who have rejected his law and despised his word. They are like chaff from the summer threshing floors, carried away by the wind so that they cannot be found. When you read verses 44 and 45, you are told that the rock shall crush or break in pieces all these kingdoms. Now, this appears to be an allusion to the second psalm where a promise is given to the Messiah. Psalm 2, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. What was promised to the Messiah in Psalm 2 is reaffirmed in Daniel 2. The beginning of Psalm 2 talks about how the kings of the earth and the rulers take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. The proud and ungodly rulers of nations oppose the lordship of Christ. They do not trust in him crucified. But Psalm 2 says, he who sits in the heavens shall, what? Laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. God does not tremble before the arrogance of wicked men, before kings like Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, or Alexander the Great. Earthly kingdoms will only endure for a time. The day is coming. The day is coming when all who oppose the kingdom of God will be crushed and scattered by the rock, Jesus Christ. That was God's message to Nebuchadnezzar, and that is God's message also today. The only kingdom that will last is the kingdom of Christ. What does verse 44 say? It is indestructible. It will never be destroyed. It is eternal. It will stand forever. It is universal. It fills the whole earth. The congregation, the question I ask you this morning is this. 
What kingdom do you belong to? What kingdom is your heart fixed on? Is your heart drawn to man's kingdom? The kingdom that will be crushed and scattered like chaff in the wind? Are you allowing the kingdom of man to close in upon you? Are you enamored with the power, pleasures, and treasures of this world? Or is your heart fixed on the kingdom of Christ? Does He reign in your heart? Are you numbered among those who reject the Lord's anointed? Or have you trusted the Messiah, the crucified, risen, and reigning King? In the words of Psalm 2, are you taking your stand against the Lord and against His anointed? Or have you kissed the Son in grateful devotion? The only way to belong to the eternal kingdom is by trusting the Son, the Rock, Jesus Christ. Through faith, He is a loving, tender Savior, but if you reject Him, He will be a crushing, destroying weight. What will it be for you? Maybe there's someone who has come here this morning who thinks, I don't need Christ. Maybe you're young and physically strong and healthy and you have no worries about tomorrow. What do I need him for? I have my friends, my pleasures, my job, my goals in life. Why should I waste my time and energy serving and worshiping Jesus? If that's your attitude, then in the name of the Lord, I say to you in love, you are, you are a very foolish and short-sighted person. Your heart has been captured by the kingdom of man. And unless you repent, you will one day be among those who will be utterly crushed by the rock. You think you're physically strong? You think you're self-sufficient? You think you can stand on your own? Unless you repent and turn to the loving and merciful Savior, you will be crushed. God is tenderly and graciously calling you this morning to reject the proud kingdom of man and to flee for refuge to Jesus Christ. Only then will you share the king's victory. So congregation, we have seen the testimony of the king's servant and the revelation of the king's success. We come then briefly to our final point, the recognition of the king's supremacy. The recognition of the king's supremacy. Having heard Daniel's words, verse 46 says, King Nebuchadnezzar did what? Fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. What a remarkable turn of events. In verse 14, Daniel was under the guillotine, under the sentence of death. In verse 46, the great monarch, the supreme ruler, lies prostrate before him, his face to the ground, and his servants are commanded to present an offering and incense to him. 
And in addition to that, Nebuchadnezzar also confessed the greatness, the supremacy of his God. Look at verse 47. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. Nebuchadnezzar could see that Daniel's God was superior to all the gods of Babylon. All the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans confessed their inability to assist the king. Only Daniel, only Daniel by the power of his God was able to reveal the truth. But congregation, hear this. While Nebuchadnezzar was awed by Daniel's words and insights, his confession of verse 47 does not mean that he was permanently humbled and converted. The next two chapters indicate otherwise. He was a proud king who continued to live by his own rules. He was impressed, but he was not yet ready to humbly yield to the true king and give his life to his service. He promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts. He made him a ruler and a chief administrator over all the wise men. And he also set Daniel's three friends over the affairs of the province. Nebuchadnezzar did all these things for Daniel, but he did not submit to Daniel's God. He did not seek entrance into the kingdom of Christ. He did not further inquire into the, the character and requirements of Christ. He did not ask how he might be spared from the crushing weight of that rock. He did not inquire about the forgiveness of sins. What about you? The table before us this morning proclaims forgiveness of sins for all who believe. His body was broken, and His blood was shed for sinners. It also reminds us that all who trust in Him shall eat and drink with Him in His eternal kingdom. Will you be there? Will you be there? You see, Nebuchadnezzar honored the servant of the Lord, but he did not honor the Lord Himself. The God of heaven had directly communicated with him by means of a dream, but Nebuchadnezzar was not changed. He was confronted with the coming judgment, but he did not repent and turn to God in faith. He rather enjoyed being the head of gold, and he was not ready to submit to the God of gods, the Lord of kings. Do you see, congregation, the foolishness of human pride? Sinners can be powerfully confronted by the living Word of God and still remain indifferent to it. Could there be someone here this morning who is like that? You've heard the word, you've been warned of the judgment of God, but you continue to live as you have always lived? Could there be someone here who will leave those doors curious 
curious about the indestructible, eternal, universal kingdom of Christ as Nebuchadnezzar? You stand in awe of the God of heaven. You acknowledge him to be the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And yet, and yet you leave those doors and do not submit your heart and life to him. If you're like that, I urge you to humble yourself before it's too late. The day is drawing near when the image, the kingdoms of men will be utterly crushed and the mountain will fill the whole earth. Revelation 11.15 says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Yes, congregation, the kingdom of Christ will triumph. He will reign, and sinners will perish. Then submit to Him and seek entrance into His kingdom by faith. And then, as Daniel found hope and comfort through these words, you also can find hope, comfort, and courage. In the kingdom of Christ, there is security, for it is a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And he shall reign forever and ever. Amen? Let's hear it. Let's try that again. Amen? Amen. That's better. Let us pray. Lord, what a great hope you have given to your people. That universal, eternal kingdom that will never be destroyed, purchased for us by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that, Lord, we would not simply hear these words and like Nebuchadnezzar, stand amazed at the God of heaven, the God of gods, and the Lord of kings. That we wouldn't stand amazed and yet just leave here unchanged and uncommitted. Convict our hearts, each and every one of us, Mold us and shape us. Transform us, Lord, to be faithful servants in the kingdom of Christ. Lord, it's a terrifying thought. It's a terrifying thought that there are those who will be crushed by the rock. That all the kingdoms of men who have rejected the kingship of Christ, that all human kingdoms will be utterly destroyed. We pray, Lord, that you will impress upon us the privilege that is ours through the gospel as we come to this table, as we take of the bread and of the cup, remembering the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus by which we may gain entrance into that eternal righteous kingdom. Receive our praises and our worship.
and make us loyal citizens of the King. In his name we pray. Amen.